Uh, Happy Easter. Good to see all of you this morning. Uh, If you have a device or a Bible and you want to follow along this morning, we're going to be in Mark 16. This will also be up on the screen, as most of you know. Uh, So what I want to do this morning is I want to read the account of Jesus' resurrection. Then I want to just step back and talk a little bit about the credibility of the story in terms of the biblical telling of it. And, and then we're going to just let these verses preach to us a little bit at the end. So let me read these verses, and uh, then we'll jump into them. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So whether we are a Christian or not, likely we have had at some point in our lives doubts about the resurrection. If we've heard about it in some sense, we've probably had some doubts. Some of you may feel that this morning, or you have questions rolling around in your head about the resurrection. If that's you, I want to assure you it is normal. I would even say it's good in some senses. It's good to ask questions. It's good to seek answers. And when it comes to the resurrections, we should want to have answers. The whole of the Christian faith rises and falls on this reality, on this one event. If it's true, everything changes. Absolutely everything changes in this world. A dead man coming to life. This has massive implications for us. And if it's false, if this never happened, if it's all a sham... Well, one biblical author said it well. He said, We are of all people most to be pitied if it is not true, if it did not happen. God is not scared of our honest questioning. We can ask any question and we can wrestle with any questions that we have. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to get the answer that we want. The fact that God is God means that there are some things beyond us. There are many things that we don't know. So it's good for us to ask the question. It's good for us to wrestle with these realities. But when we get to the resurrection in the Bible, just the mere telling of it in the Bible, it does provide a lot of credibility. So I want to look at that this morning. One of the things that speaks to the reliability of this story is that it does not unfold in the way that we might expect it to if someone were trying to convince us of it. So a number of things I want to highlight here. 
One example of this is the fact that women are the first ones to hear about this. So the testimony of women in the first century, and especially in the court of law, was oftentimes viewed as unreliable. Women were in many ways discredited. So if someone was trying to be convincing about this story, the details of the story would be doctored in a way that would cause people to listen to them. But that's not what happened here. In this telling, many people would typically dismiss it simply because the first to hear of Jesus' resurrection were women. And they played a significant role here. But what we know about Jesus is he doesn't typically follow conventions. We see this in the women being the first to hear of Jesus' resurrection. But, but we could also say the resurrection itself is unconventional. The truth of the message is enough. That, that's what's communicated through this. The fact that women are the first to hear, to see, and they're the ones who are telling The truth of the message is enough. What we say here oftentimes is that Jesus is enough. And that's true in this as well. He can and does work in unexpected ways and through unexpected people. What we hear through this story is that Jesus valued women. He changed the conversation around them, for sure. We could say Jesus has done more for women than any movement, any organization, any whatever, if we look throughout the history of the world. And the fact that the story is being told in this way speaks to its reliability. Maybe not initially, right? But through the years, we can look back and say, no, it does speak to, re- to the reliability because we know that as it's being written, that someone's not just trying to twist the facts in a way that it would make it most palatable. Another aspect that surprisingly enhances the reliability of the resurrection is the description of Jesus' followers. So in our culture, people typically try to gain a following by curating a narrative or an image about themselves. Photos are manipulated to remove anything that might be considered a defect. So much of what we see, especially online now, is so produced, oftentimes fake. But when we look at Jesus' followers, they didn't come to the tomb full of faith, perfect, expecting his resurrection, all put together. That's not who they were when they're coming to the tomb. They came expecting to find a dead body. They had intentions to anoint his body, to address the stench that is created by decomposition. And if you would go back and read through the chapters preceding Mark 16, where we are looking this morning, you would read three different times Jesus explicitly stated that he was going to die, and then he was going to raise again on the third day. So this had been communicated to his followers. And yet, they're going to the tomb expecting to find a dead man. So when we look at Jesus' followers, we would say they are suspect. They didn't have it all together. They weren't great listeners at times. They disbelieved. Even after they were told that Jesus had raised or would be raised from the dead. Or, or even here now, as Jesus had raised from the dead, 
And these women were told, go and tell. What did they do? The text says they said nothing to anyone. They were terrified. They were afraid by what was going on. You can look at these individuals and think, this is not the best PR for your movement, Jesus. But it fits perfectly with Jesus, what he's doing, the way in which he's turning the world upside down. When the angel spoke to the women, he referred to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. Now, as Mark is writing this down, he is writing it down with intention. There's a reason he's writing it this way. During Jesus' life, people made fun of him for being from Nazareth. It made it easy for people to insult him. I get this a little bit because of the town I grew up in. I grew up in a town with 306 people. People called it podunk. We were hicks. You probably say like, yeah, Kevin, we can tell by the way you're dressing for Easter that that's you, right? But I grew up in a town named Pillager. You can even tell by this, this picture, right? I can't even find a, a, like a sharp image off the internet. Like it's just grainy, right? And it's named Pillager because of pillaging. Like that, that's what was going on in the town I grew up in. So I understand this a little bit. But Nazareth was a no-name town. And the only thing it was known for was nothing good coming out of it. But Jesus is unexpected. He changes the narrative. It doesn't matter your town. It doesn't matter your name. It doesn't matter your sin. Jesus' resurrection changes the story of it all. In the same way he bears an insulting name, he is willing to bear our sin upon his shoulders. Though an insulting name might cause some people to mock him or not want to follow Jesus, the reality is that nothing can stop the fact that he would be resurrected. And as you look throughout history, you see what Jesus has accomplished, what he's done. He doesn't say this explicitly, but through his life, death, and resurrection, it's essentially Jesus saying, put some respect on that name. All right, lastly, this is all taking place at the tomb where Jesus was buried. Jesus was killed because he was turning the world upside down. He was unsettling those who were in power. So measures were taken to ensure that Jesus' body would not be stolen. They wanted his death to completely put an end to the movement that Jesus was leading. They were fine if people would go to the tomb to go visit him Remember him in some ways like maybe they did with other tombs of other Jewish leaders throughout the years. But they wanted to ensure that that movement would die. And despite the efforts to ensure the tomb stayed sealed, which meant they put military enforcements around the tomb, and despite their attempts to ensure that Jesus' body stayed in the tomb, this did not happen. And when we go back and we look at this, there's no massive insurrection that's causing this to happen, right? History records no mob coming to steal the body out of the tomb. Clearly, the women, his followers, were not aware of a plan to free Jesus from the tomb. And so to quell all of this, 
all that would need to happen was for a body to be presented. People knew where Jesus was. It was heavily guarded. To kill the movement, just get the body and put it in front of people. But it never happened. That dead body never turned up. But hundreds of people did see Jesus after his resurrection. And his church that he established began to explode. It grew exponentially. Followers of Jesus who had been terrified by his death, devastated by his death, began to give up their own lives for Jesus because they weren't following a dead man, but a man who was dead and is now alive. And people today sacrifice their lives, sacrifice their comforts, their pleasures, so that Jesus' name will be made much of. When you look at all of the metrics, the events happening around the resurrection and his followers, you've got to conclude that something profound had to have occurred for them to go from who they were hiding, cowering in rooms to then standing in front of people telling others about Jesus, giving of their lives for Jesus. And the profound thing that happened was resurrection. Jesus was raised from death to life. And that's a great reality, something we pin our hopes to. But when we look around in this world that we live in, we feel the heaviness of death all around us. We've become very much like the women as they walk to Jesus' tomb. They expected death. They expected a rancid stench. Many of us probably feel scared about the prospect of death. We do everything or many things to stave it off, to avoid it as long as we can. We've grown to expect death as an unavoidable aspect in this world, and it's one of those few guarantees in this world. The fracturing and the breaking of so much in our culture infers death. Dreams die every day. Hope is oftentimes lost. And even when the potential for something better, what we call resurrection, is hinted at, we become like the women. In this story, we become skeptical. It said that these Women are alarmed that they're afraid. If we're honest, much of our lived experience in this world communicates to us that resurrection is not normal. And this is true for us here and now because of sin. But it's not the whole truth either. It is true, but it's not the whole truth. When we look at Jesus, what we find is that resurrection is not abnormal. With Jesus, resurrection is normal. Throughout his life, Jesus sought to prepare his followers. He told them he would die and then be raised. So he was communicating this verbally to his followers. He's setting a norm. He's setting an expectation. We're going to come back to this in just a moment. But furthermore, Jesus actually raised someone from the dead as well. 
There was a man named Lazarus. Lazarus was sick, and so his family sent for Jesus. And they find him, and they say, Lazarus is sick. He's going to die. Will you come and heal him? And Jesus was up to some business, and so he didn't go right away. He finished what he was doing, and in those couple of days, Lazarus died. Eventually, Jesus comes to Lazarus, who's been dead for a number of days, and his family is distraught. Why didn't you come? If you would have come, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus walks into the tomb, and he sets him free from death. He raises Lazarus to life. And we see other ripple effects throughout Jesus' three-year ministry where we find him healing. We find him feeding people, loving people, serving people, caring for people, saving people. And these are all examples of Jesus displaying authority over circumstances that hint at death, that whisper death. We're able to read about these physical examples of what Jesus did, but then there's a greater display of resurrection power that we do see throughout the biblical story. See, the Bible teaches that every person is born dead. It's kind of a weird thing to think about, to say. Every person is born dead. We're born spiritually dead. Sinful. Sin causes us to be broken, to be disordered. And so what happens is we worship ourselves, we worship other people rather than worshiping God, the one who created us and who created everything. We don't pursue God. Instead, we pursue our own pleasure. But the reason Jesus came to earth was to save us from our sin, from ourselves, from our disordered desires. And Jesus then makes it possible for our sin to be forgiven, the thing that separates us from him, the thing that condemns us to hell, he resolves that problem, our greatest problem. He makes it possible for us to trust God, to live for something bigger than ourselves, to love others, even when it's hard, even when we don't want to, even when that person is our enemy. He makes it possible for us to seek the good of others, above our own good. And this can happen not because Jesus just makes us a little bit better, but because he radically changes us. He changes who we are at the core of our being. He takes dead, sinful hearts and he breathes spiritual life into them. He makes them alive through grace. So when we look at Jesus' life and the lives of those that he saves, we can hear the whispers and the shouts. We're already there prior to his own resurrection. This was someone who regularly demonstrated a power in his life that could not be held down by even death itself. In and through Jesus' life then, we can see that resurrection is normal. Spiritual resurrection is normal. The key for us then is letting Jesus have sway in our own lives. We need to look at him rather than all of the hopelessness that pervades our world. 
We need to trust in Jesus rather than trusting in ourselves or our circumstances. And and this is why the message that we're preaching this morning is essentially the same message that we preach every other Sunday as well. We essentially celebrate Easter every week here at Center Church. And when we do trust in Jesus and experience spiritual resurrection, this will have unending implications for our lives. Every single day. Not like monthly, but every minute of every day. The choices that we make, the things that we think about, the pursuits, the passions that we have, the way in which we talk to other people, how we drive, everything is affected by this reality of spiritual resurrection. Okay, I want to go back now to the verses, and I want to pull out one implication, but then flesh it out in two different ways. So here at Center Church, we typically close our sermons with what we call gospel application, right? We don't want you walking out of here thinking about, these are the things that I need to do. If I do these things, this will make me a good Christian. We want you walking out of here thinking about who Jesus is, and what he has done for you. So we have one point of gospel application today. When we are spiritually resurrected, we can and we will live expectantly. Now I want to flesh this out in two different ways. First of all, I want to highlight how Jesus' salvation is depicted in Mark 16. So Jesus saves us by doing everything for us. We receive his salvation by believing in him. Jesus' salvation comes to us by grace, which means his salvation is an undeserved gift. What that also means then is no one here earned salvation. None of us woke up one morning and said, I'm going to devote myself to this thing and I'm going to earn God's approval. And then he's going to say, you're saved. That didn't happen for any of us. We don't add to Jesus' salvation either. It's not as though he saves us and then we walk through the Christian life and we're doing things to add to what he's already done. He saves us completely the first time. We don't perform good works either so that we can stay saved, okay? Jesus saves us and Jesus keeps us. None of it is on us. Jesus does it all. Now let me highlight how we see aspects of this in the recounting of the resurrection account that we read this morning. So the women were going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. Now, some of us might have deep roots in a brand of Christianity where we've been told a good Christian serves. Serves Jesus, serves other people. And and there are some aspects of truth to that. So I'm not just throwing the whole thing out, okay? But we've got to be rightly ordered in how we think about this. So some people might read this and think like, oh, look at what those women are doing. They're going to go and they're going to do this thing for Jesus. And we should all aspire to do that. 
Except that's not what happened. They didn't anoint Jesus' body. They couldn't anoint Jesus' body. They were prevented from anointing Jesus' body. Furthermore, a concern they had was how they were going to enter the tomb. So they knew that there was this massive rock covering it. It was too large for them to move. And as they drew near to the tomb, they see that the stone has been moved. It was moved for them. They did nothing to enter in. Another picture of grace. And when they enter into the tomb, it's not up to them to solve a riddle, right? It's not look at the burial claws and see how they're laying and try and figure it out. There's a man there, an angel, a messenger, that tells them what has transpired. He says, you're seeking Jesus of Nazareth, that man who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See, this is where he was. And then he gives them more instructions. At every turn of what is happening here, they are recipients Good gifts are being given to them. Jesus is doing everything. God is doing everything here to demonstrate how he does everything in salvation. So it would be insane for them to conclude. Well, I mean, we did kind of walk to the tomb, right? So we did have a part in our salvation. No. Jesus does it all. All of it. All of it. And we've got to understand this. This is how salvation transpires. Jesus died. He was buried. And he was resurrected. He alone saves us. He's the one who resurrects us spiritually. We are the ones who are in need. We are the ones who need to be served and saved. And Jesus is the one who does all of it. And when we understand that he did something that we could not do, and he keeps that something, that salvation, it can cause us to live expectantly, no matter what we might encounter. And we encounter some stuff in this world. And that's where I want to go with the second thing. Secondly, I want to draw out, because we live in a world drowning in sin and we feel the reverberations of death, I want to draw out how Jesus enters into our places of death. Jesus went into the tomb. There's truth to that physically, but there's also symbolism in this reality. We see this as Jesus hangs on the cross as well, and he is shrouded in darkness in the middle of day. He takes the darkness upon himself. He enters into the tomb. He goes to the place of death. He, he didn't just experience some adverse effects of death. He didn't just come close to death. Jesus died all the way. He felt every part of it. He went into the darkness. So what that preaches to us this morning is he understands your depression. 
He understands your despair. He understands your loneliness. He understands your faint-heartedness. He understands your hopelessness. He understands your disappointment. He understands your fears. The stress that you might feel throughout your days. And I love the picture that we get here in verse 7. The, the man in the tomb says, Go, tell his disciples and Peter. And I love how this is worded to hear. Because Peter is one of the disciples. Why didn't he just say, tell his disciples? It's as though he knows that this man, Peter, has just denied Jesus three times. And he comes to him. Peter's not there right now, right? But this message is explicitly for Peter as well. The man who turned his back on Jesus. Who said, I don't know that man. This is for him as well. Jesus understands the dark places of our lives. He cares about them. And as we trust in Jesus, he goes into those places with us. He fully understands, fully cares. But he doesn't just understand. He doesn't just care, though that's significant. He also defeats death. He also defeats sin. He overcomes it. That's what the resurrection demonstrates. He overcomes it. He defeats it. He is the victor. Which is foretelling what we read in the book of Revelation as well. So as we walk into struggles in this world, and we will, we can live expectantly knowing that God will work good. He will. We might not understand it. We might not see it. Even in our own lifetimes, it might be far beyond our understanding. But if we trust Him, He has promised. The one who climbed into a tomb and came, walked out of that tomb, He has promised to work all things for our good. Even the ugliest, messiest sin in our own lives, as well as the hardest things that we will walk through in this life as well. We can live expectantly because Jesus has overcome. He has risen. The grave is empty, so we can live expectantly. The grave is empty. The grave, death, will not win. So cling to Jesus. As he has risen, so will he raise those who trust in him. In the last day, yes. But also today. Also in our dark days. So cling to him with the strength that he gives you. But as you do that, rest in the fact that he clings to you. He is the one who saves you. He is the one who keeps you. So rest in him.